praise the Lord. If you have your Bibles, turn with me tonight to Joshua chapter 1. Joshua is taking over in Moses' place as the leader of the children of Israel. And I want to show you some things that, uh, uh, well, I believe, I believe will be a blessing to you. Verse 1, Joshua 1.1. 1, 1. Now after the death of Moses, the servant of the Lord, it came to pass that the Lord spake unto Joshua, the son of Nun, Moses' minister, saying, Moses, my servant is dead. Now therefore arise, go over this Jordan, thou and all these people, unto the land which I do give to them, even to the children of Israel. Every place that the sole of your foot shall tread upon, that have I given unto you. The word given there in, in the, this verse and the previous verse really means made yours. He's saying all this land I've made yours. It's something God's already done. It's not something God's going to do. It's something that's already taken place and he's communicating that. Every place that the sole of your foot shall tread upon, that have I given unto you or made yours. As I said unto Moses, from the wilderness and this Lebanon, even unto the great river, the river Euphrates, and all the land of the Hittites, and unto the great sea, going down to the sun, shall be your coast. He's talking about the Mediterranean Sea, of course. He said, there shall not any man be able to stand before thee all the days of thy life. As I was with Moses, so so will I be with thee. I will not fail thee or forsake thee. Be strong and of good courage. This is God talking to Joshua now. Be strong and of good courage, for unto this people shalt thou divide for an inheritance the land which I swear unto thy fathers to give them. The word, uh, the phrase be strong and of good courage is is, uh, in the Bible a a number of times. Be strong means to fasten yourself onto or seize something. He's telling him, seize courage. Now, the word courage, we usually associate courage with some kind of spiritual strength or whatever, emotions of I can do this or whatever the case might be. But the word, uh, the word courage literally means to be alert. And then it, the, the Hebrew language brings out the, uh, the picture of standing against physical circumstances and thoughts, wrong thoughts that come against your mind. So God's telling Joshua, He's showing a principle that applies for every one of us and could apply to everybody at least. He says, seize hold of courage, the alertness to know how things work so that you can stand strong against physical circumstances and against wrong thoughts that come to your mind. He's saying, make a choice. Be strong. Seize courage. Grab a hold of it. Don't let it go. Choose that instead of melting into wax like everybody else does. Seize courage. Now, did you notice in verse uh, 6, let me read that again. Be strong and of good courage, for unto this people shalt thou divide an inheritance, the land which I swear unto their fathers to give them. Keep that word swear in mind and turn back with me just a chapter to Deuteronomy uh, 34. This is from uh, Moses' side of things before God speaks to Joshua and he takes over for Moses. Beginning in verse 1, it says, And Moses went up from the plains of Moab, under the mountain of Nebo, to the top of Pisgah that is over against Jericho. And the Lord showed him all the land of Gilead and Undadan, and all Naphtali, and the land of Ephraim, and Manasseh, and all the land of Judah, under the utmost sea. And the south and the plain of the valley of Jericho, the city of palm trees, under Zoar. And the Lord said unto him, This is the land which I swear. Here's that same word, swear. Unto Abraham, and unto Isaac, and unto Jacob, saying, I will give it to thy seed 
Again, make it belong to your seed. I have caused thee to see it with thine eyes, but thou shalt not go over there. And Moses, the servant of the Lord, died there in the land of Moab, according to the word of the Lord. And he buried him in a valley in the land of Moab over against Beth Peor. But no man knows of his sepulcher unto this day. That's a good thing, folks. If the Jews knew where Moses was buried, they would make such a shrine and such a relic out of that situation you can't imagine. God must have known that. Notice again in verse 4, And the Lord said unto him, This is the land. He's shown him all the land from the mountain of Nebo. And you can, it's one of the places, a few places over there in, uh, in the Middle East uh, or in the uh, land of Israel that you can really see for almost ever. You can see as far as your eyes are good enough to, to view. And this is where God had him. And notice he talked about the land that he was seeing was a land that was sworn unto. Now I want you to think about that word swear for a minute. And we'll look at uh, a couple of different examples. But I want you to understand what swear means. In the Old Testament, it's used a bunch of times. Always about swearing uh, concerning the covenant of God or swearing concerning the blessings of Abraham and so forth. The word swear means to seven oneself. Seven, S-E-V-E-N. To seven oneself. Now, that means nothing to us. But in the Hebrew language, as the Hebrew language brings out it in Judaism, it was well understood, well understood, without dispute, that seven is the number of God. Seven uh, identifies completeness. So when God swears, he's saying, I've given you the whole package. And the reason that we know that or the way that they could know that is because God sevened himself. When you say or do something in Judaism, when you say or do something seven times, that's it. It's done. And anything less than that is if so, maybe so. But to seven oneself means to make it good so that nothing in the world could possibly break it. Now turn with me over to Hebrews chapter 6. We're going to go back to Joshua, so keep your finger there. But I want you to see Hebrews chapter 6. Paul is writing to the, to the, uh, the Jews, primarily the Jews that have come from uh, Jerusalem. Most scholars accept that the book of Hebrews was detached to, to the book of Galatians. The book of Galatians was written by Paul to the church, and the book of Hebrews was written to the Jews. Because the Jews are going into towns that Paul has established churches and tried to tear things up. Tried to reinstitute the law of Moses and all this kind of stuff. Yeah, Jesus is good, all right, but you've got to keep the law of Moses. And so Paul wrote, apparently, Paul wrote to the Hebrews an attachment to the book of Galatians. And and that's one reason why it's speculated. It seems right to me. But it's one reason that it's speculated why the book of Hebrews doesn't show an author. Paul doesn't say, this is me writing to the Hebrews. Well, if he attached it to the letter to the Galatians, then that would make sense why he wouldn't. But anyway, the writer of the book of Hebrews is writing to the Jews, many of, most of, those that have come from Jerusalem with a a wrong idea about where the law of Moses fits in to salvation or Christianity and so forth. Paul would know, of course, he writes to them in, in Greek language, not the Hebrew language, But Paul would certainly know that the people that he's writing to, those that have had any education at all, have been educated in the temple. That was the only education that was available to them. Many of the people that Paul is writing to may have had the same education and the same training that Paul had for himself. Paul was trained 
to be able to. He wasn't of the right lineage, and so it wouldn't, wouldn't happen for him specifically. But he was writing to people that had the same training to become the high priest as he did. And so when he brings up things about God and God's actions and so forth, he knows full well that they know the Jewish, the Hebrew language. He knows that they know what the, the circumstances are uh, surround the words that he's using, even though he's communicating in Greek. So with that in mind, let's start in verse 16, uh, verse, uh, Hebrews 6, verse 13. He says, For when God made promise to Abraham, because he could swear by no greater, he swore by himself. God sevened himself to his own name, saying, Surely, blessing I will bless thee, and multiplying I will multiply thee. And so, after he had patiently endured, he obtained the promise. For men barely swear by the greater, and an oath for confirmation is to them an end of all strife. Settles the issue, in other words. Wherein God, willing more abundantly to show unto the heirs of promise the immutability, the word immutability means unchanging nature, of his counsel, confirmed it with an oath that by these two immutable things, unchanging things, his counsel and his oath, by these two immutable things in which it is impossible for God to lie, we might have a strong consolation to have fled for refuge to lay hold on the hope that is set before us. Now turn back with me to Joshua chapter 1 again. God's telling Joshua, you're going to have to seize courage. You're going to have to make the choice to take the position that you know what physical circumstances, hindering circumstances, adversity surrounding those circumstances, you'll know what that means. You won't let the circumstances knock you off course. You'll know by seizing this thing called courage. You'll know how to stand against the thoughts that come to your mind or come against your mind to try to paint a picture of failure and defeat. Seize courage. Let's go back to verse 6. Joshua chapter 1, he said, Be strong and of good courage, for unto this people I shall divide for an inheritance the land which I swear, sevened myself, unto their fathers to give them. Only be thou strong and very courageous, says it the second time. Seize courage. Take hold of it. It's your choice. Take hold of it. Only be thou strong and very courageous that thou mayest observe to do according to all the law which Moses my servant commanded thee. Turn not from it to the right hand or to the left that thou mayest prosper whithersoever thou goest. This book of the law shall not depart out of thy mouth but thou shalt meditate therein day and night that thou mayest observe to do according to all that's written therein. For then thou shalt make thy way prosperous and then thou shalt have good success. Verse 9, have, I, have not I commanded thee be strong and of good courage. Here's the third time God says it to Joshua. Seize courage. Be strong and of good courage. Be not afraid, neither be thou dismayed, for the Lord thy God is with thee whithersoever thou goest. Now I want you to notice what it's, it's telling us. It's telling us that God's plan for Joshua, which would be the same plan for you and me, if God wanted Joshua to be prosperous and have good success in leading the children of Israel, then he wants you to be prosperous and have good success in whatever he's called you to do. Otherwise, God would be a respecter of persons. It's, it's an amazing thing to me how people will, will ignore this scripture and say that God doesn't want you to prosper. Well, then why in the world did he tell you how to do it? Verse 8 is the outline for how to make your way prosperous and have good success. Seems to me that if God didn't want people to prosper and, ha- and be successful, 
the easiest way to ensure that is just not tell them how to do it. Wouldn't that make sense? But instead, he tells him exactly how to do it. Now, verse 8, I believe, has a lot to do with how to seize courage. How to hold on to or fasten yourself onto courage. Because he immediately starts talking about the word. Well, the only word that they had back then was the Ten Commandments. The law of Moses, the five books of the Pentateuch, would certainly be in place at the time that Moses died or right, uh, right about the time that Moses died. It was buried by God in the valley. And so when God tells Joshua, be strong and of good courage, seize courage, and then tells him the place that the word plays, which is a full-time position, this book of the law shall not depart out of your mouth. He's telling Joshua, you're going to have to do something regarding the word of God that is full-time. You're going to have to speak it again and again and again to yourself full-time. That's what meditate means. It means to roll over or to mutter, to say it to yourself. So that you may observe to do all that's written therein. For then thou shalt make thy way prosperous and then thou shalt have good success. So he's telling him two things. One thing several times, three times. He says, be strong and of good courage. Seize courage. And that, the way you do that is by the relationship you have with God's word. That's how you seize courage. That's how you seize courage. That's the same thing we just read over in Hebrews chapter 6 in different words. Paul is saying to the church that God swore to himself or swore by himself because there was nothing greater than himself to use. And then what did he give us? He gave us an unchanging counsel. That's his word. And the unchanging nature of his oath. The fact that he swore. He sevened himself to his word. He sevened himself. Now, do you remember? Let me break this down a little bit and see if we can make it a little bit more clear. You remember in uh, Matthew's gospel, I believe it was, where Peter came to Jesus once and he said, Master, how often do I have to forgive? Seven times. If, if somebody does something wrong to me, should I forgive him seven times? And Jesus said, not seven times, seven times 70. Now, why did Peter pick seven? Why didn't Peter say, you know, if, if forgiveness is the thing that we're supposed to do under every circumstance, then am I supposed to forgive everything that everybody does? But the fact that he uses the word seven or the number seven indicates that Peter was following the tradition of the Jews. Peter received temple training as well, not high priest training because he was a common man. But everybody, all kids had to go to the temple to learn religious, uh, the Jewish training, the religious training from the temple. Everybody had to do that. It was something that everybody wanted to do. Every family wanted their kids to be taught by the great rabbis in the temple. And so for a number of years during their childhood, that was just the thing everybody did. It was understood that that's what you did. If you were in the outlying areas, then you received training in the local synagogues or whatever. And those priests that served in the local synagogues might not be as well-known, might not be as studious as some of the others, particularly in the, in the temple, operating in the temple in Jerusalem. But when Peter says seven times, he's, in his idea, in his thinking, that would be the ultimate. That would be as far as anybody would need to go because seven times is the complete word or the complete number. It's the number of God. They have a, the Jews have a great attachment to the seven days per week that God created that's an indication of the completeness of his work in the earth. 
But Jesus, of course, went beyond seven times. He said, no, it's just not 70, Peter. I know why you're using seven. You may think that's a, a lot, but it's seven times 70. Do you see the point? The Jews thought that seven times of anything established it forever. And God says over and over again, I sevened myself to my word. I sevened myself to my word. Let's look at a couple of places that it's used. Turn back with me to Deuteronomy chapter 8. Oh, how far back do we want to go here? Um, Let's start in verse 11. No, I'll start in verse 10. He says, when thou hast eaten and art full, which means that must be okay with God. He's talking about the people of Israel in the promised land. When thou hast eaten and art full, then thou shalt bless the Lord thy God for the good land which he has given thee. Beware that thou forget not the Lord thy God in not keeping his commandments and his judgments and his statutes which I command thee this day. Lest when thou hast eaten and art full and hast built goodly houses. That must be okay with God too. Moses is telling him that's what we expect. But after you've eaten to your, full, to your fill and built goodly houses and dwell in those goodly houses. And when thy herds and thy flocks multiply. Sounds like that's the plan for God for them. And thy silver and thy gold is multiplied and all that thou hast is multiplied. Then thine heart be lifted up and thou forget the Lord thy God which brought thee forth out of the land of Egypt from the house of bondage. Who led thee through that great and terrible wilderness wherein were fiery serpents and scorpions and drought where there was no water. But God brought forth water out of the rock of flint. Who fed thee in the wilderness with manna, which thy fathers knew not, that he might humble thee, and that he might prove thee to do thee good at that latter end. He's still giving a warning. He's saying, beware, verse 17, beware that you should say in your heart, my power and the might of my hand has gotten me this wealth. But instead, remember the Lord thy God, for it is he that giveth thee power to get wealth. I want you to notice the subject matter here. Refers to goodly houses, flocks and herds multiplying, eating to your full, and silver and gold multiplied. Those are all things that are a part of what God intended for the Jews to have in the promised land. So he says, remember, Moses is telling the people, remember God. Remember that it was the Lord thy God that gave you the power to get wealth. Well, if we've got a better covenant established upon better promises, why would not the power to get wealth be ours too? The only way it could be a better covenant is if we've got everything the old covenant had plus more. Otherwise, it's just a different covenant, not a better one. It's just a different one. So it says, remember that it was God that gave thee power to get wealth, that he may establish his covenant, which he swore, sevened himself unto, which he swore unto thy fathers as it is this day. Turn with me to Deuteronomy chapter 28. First half of the chapter, verse four, the first 14 verses are talking about the blessings of obeying the word, putting the word first place, which is exactly what God told Joshua to do. This book of the law or this word of God shall not depart out of your mouth, but thou shalt meditate therein day and night. Full-time relationship with the word 24-7. That thou mayest observe to do according to all that's written therein. Well, these blessings in Deuteronomy chapter 28, beginning uh, the first 14 verses, these blessings are the blessings of obedience, of doing what the word says, just like God instructed Joshua. God told Joshua something that, that everybody should understand at this point, or after the fact at least, and that is it's obeying the word, it's putting the word to practice in your life that makes your way prosperous. 
It's your relationship with the Word of God that makes your way prosperous and brings you good success. It's not just your relationship with God. That might not be a good way to say it, but what I mean by it's not just being saved that brings these things into your life. It's having a relationship with your Heavenly Father through His Word that God said would bring success. So when I talk about relationship with God, I'm I'm differentiating between somebody that's saved and somebody that's saved and living by the Word, doing what God told Joshua to do, meditating in the Word and putting it in practice in their lives. So Moses tells the people on behalf of God, beginning in verse 7, he said, The Lord shall cause thine enemies that rise against thee to be smitten before your face. They shall come out against you one way and flee before thee seven ways. Why does he use the word seven? Because that says to the readers, the Jews that are reading and understanding this and will read it down through the years and the ages, it tells them that God will scatter your enemies to the uttermost part of the world. He'll seven them. They'll flee seven ways. The Lord shall command the blessing upon thee in thy storehouses and in all that thou settest thine hand unto. And he shall bless thee in the land which the Lord thy God giveth thee. The Lord shall establish thee a holy people unto himself as he has sworn. Same word. As he has sevened himself unto thee. If thou shalt walk, uh, keep the commandments of the Lord thy God and walk in his ways. And all the people of the earth shall see that thou art called by, thine, by the name of the Lord, and they shall be afraid of thee. And the Lord shall make thee plenteous in goods, in the fruit of your body, in the fruit of your cattle, in the fruit of your ground, in the land which the Lord swear unto thy fathers to give thee. The Lord shall open unto thee his good treasure, the heaven, to give rain unto your land in his season, and to bless all the work of your hand, and thou shalt lend unto many nations, and thou shalt not borrow. He's not saying it's wrong to borrow. He's saying you won't have to. And the Lord shall make thee the head and not the tail. Thou shalt be above only and thou shalt not be beneath. If thou hearken unto the commandments of the Lord thy God, which I command thee this day to observe and to do them. And thou shalt not go aside from any of the words which I command you this day to the right hand or to the left to go after other gods to serve them. Folks, I want you to understand that the Old Testament was all about obedience, being strong, seizing and fastening yourself on to courage. So that you understand how things work, you understand the physical circumstances that the devil will try to bring against you to shake you from the truth, and the thoughts that he'll try to bring to your mind to keep you thinking failure instead of victory. Because he swore unto Abraham. Because he swore unto Abraham. Let's look at another example. Look with me now to uh, Numbers chapter 13. Let's start reading in verse 17. And Moses sent them, meaning the 12 spies, to spy out the land of Canaan and said unto them, Get you up this, this way southward and go up unto the mountain and see the land what it is and the people that dwell therein, whether they be strong or weak, few or many. And what the land is that they dwell in, whether it be good or bad, and what cities they be that they, that they dwell in, whether in tents or in strongholds. And what the land is, whether it be fat or lean, and whether there be wood therein or not, and be ye of good courage, and bring of the fruit of the land. Now the time was the time of the first ripe, first stripe of grapes. So they went up and searched the land from the wilderness of Zin and Rehob, as men come to Hamath. 
I have no idea what that's talking about. Must be directions of some type. And they ascended by the south and came unto Hebron, where three guys, the children of Anak, were. Now, he, now Hebron was built seven years before Zoan in Egypt. And they came unto the brook of Eskel and cut down from thence a branch with one cluster of grapes, and they bare it between two upon a staff. And they brought of the pomegranates and of the figs. The place was called the brook of Eskel because of the cluster of grapes with the children of Israel cut down from thence. And they returned from searching of the land after 40 days. And they went and came to Moses and to Aaron and to all the congregation of the children of Israel unto the wilderness of Paran to Kadesh and brought back word unto them and unto all the congregation and showed them the fruit of the land. And they told him, speaking of Moses, they reported back to Moses and said, We came into the land whither thou sentest us, and surely it floweth with milk and honey, and this is the fruit of it. Nevertheless, the people be strong that dwell in the land, and the cities are walled and very great. And moreover, we saw the children of Anak there. The Amalekites dwell in the land of the south, and the Hittites and the Jebusites and the Amorites dwell in the mountains, which God had already told them about, them, about these people before. You can go back and see from the time that Moses went before Pharaoh, and said, let my people go and started talking to the children of Israel about what God wanted them to do and delivering them um, under the promised land. That was always understood. He's told them time and time and time again that these people are there. But these guys are talking about it like it's a surprise. The Amalekites dwelt in the land of the south and the Hittites and the Jebusites and the Amorites dwelt in the mountains. And the Canaanites dwell by the sea and by the coast of Jordan. And Caleb stilled the people before Moses and said, let us go up at once and possess it. For we are well able to overcome it. But the men that went up with him said, We are not able to go up against the people, for they are stronger than we are. And they brought up an evil report of the land which they had searched unto the children of Israel, saying. I want you to notice of all the things that God identifies in this and gives us record of. He says the evil report was determined by what they said. Not what they saw. But what they said. They brought up an evil report of the land which they had searched unto the children of Israel, saying, The land through which we have gone to search it is the land that eateth up the inhabitants thereof, and all the people that we saw in it are men of great stature. And there we saw the giants, the sons of Anak, which come of the giants. Well, that shouldn't be a problem. They know how God deals with giants, don't they? There we saw the giants, the sons of Anak, which come of the giants, and we were in our own sight as grasshoppers, and so we were in their sight. Now, I want you to notice that phrase. We were in our own sight as grasshoppers. That's the way they saw us too. Well, 40 years later, when they come back to the promised land and the uh, two spies go in at the direction of Joshua into the city of Jericho, they find Rahab the harlot that says, we've been afraid of you guys ever since you crossed the, the Jordan River. Ever since the river parted for you to come over on dry land, we've been afraid of you guys. Where have you been for 40 years? So this statement is not true. Where did they get the idea? It had to be thoughts that came against their mind. It had to be something that took root in them because they chose not to seize the alertness of spirit so that they understand how physical circumstances work against us. Don't let that bother you. And wrong thoughts, thoughts of failure and thoughts of defeat, don't let that bother you either. That's what seizing courage is. It's taking a position that no matter what it looks like, no matter what it feels like, no matter what the devil tells me, no matter what circumstances come against me, the word is true because God sevened himself. The promise is true because God said it seven times. 
And actually this stuff he said more, many more times than just seven times. But that what, that's what makes it unchanging. God has committed himself to it to such a degree that he said it over and over and over again. Now notice Caleb. We read through what Caleb did. Caleb sees this courage. He saw the same exact thing the other ten spies saw. Caleb and Joshua are part of this group that go in as the 12 spies, go in uh, part of the 12 spies that go into the land of Canaan to sp- search out the land. They saw exactly the same thing the other, two, the other 10 saw. They had exactly the same opportunity to give heed to the thoughts that came to their mind about the pit, people that lived in the cities because of the walls around the cities or whatever else they saw. They had exactly the same opportunity. You've got 10, 10 of the 12 spies that come back and say, we can't do it. You've got two, Caleb and Joshua, that say, it's a done deal because God's given us the land. Caleb and Joshua seized courage. The other ten didn't. How do we know? We know from the Bible record of what each of the two groups said. Between what Caleb and Joshua said, which was in line with what God had said about the land, as opposed to the ten spies that said, we can't do it. There's walls around those cities. They didn't stop to consider that God's bigger than a wall around a city. They're concerned about how strong the people are, but they must have forgotten just from two and a half years before when they came through on uh, the Red Sea on dry ground and the greatest army, the greatest military power on the face of the earth at that time was destroyed. And they didn't have to fire, throw a spear, sling a rock. They didn't have to do anything for it. Why didn't they remember that? Folks, that's the difference between seizing courage and being conformed to the world. Caleb and Joshua saw these things and held them close to their hearts. They recognized that the reason that God did these things was to show without question, without doubt, that he's bigger than any obstacle they would face. It would seem to me, and apparently this was the case with Caleb and Joshua, not many others though, but it would seem to me that after you came through the Red Sea where the greatest military army and force on the face of the earth was destroyed, without firing a shot, without raising a hand. But God did it because he was in partnership with their forefather, Abraham. It would seem to me that that would be an easy place to understand or at least begin to understand, man, this stuff that God's talking about is really true. He said he'd be with us. He said he'd take care of us. He said all he wants us to do is keep our eyes on him. This must be a worthwhile thing to do. Look at what he just did here. Caleb and Joshua, on the other hand, other hand from the disciple, from the uh, 12, 10 spies, every time they saw the obstacle, same obstacle, same wall, same city, same military force, they looked at him and said, this won't be anything for God because of what he said. This will be a light thing for God because of what he said. The 10 spies, however, looked at it and said, oh, this is trouble. We just don't want any part of this. Chapter 14 of Numbers talks about how that they began to cry, weep and lament. And they did what everybody who refuses to take hold of and to seize courage will do. They said, let's just go back to where we came from. Now, folks, think about that for a minute. For 400 years, 
the Jews, the slaves in Egypt, begged God to get them out of there. And when he does, the ones that represent these 400 people, the 10 spies that represented the 10 tribes of the people of Israel, said we would be better off going back to be slaves. We've got a perfect contrast. We've got a perfect example of what it means to seize courage. Caleb and Joshua give us that example. We've also got a perfect example of what it means to pass up on seizing courage. Turn with me over to Ephesians chapter 6. Ephesians chapter 6, Paul in writing to the church, a letter that indicates who we are in Christ and what blessings we have as a result of being children of God, sums up his letter. Verse 10, in Ephesians 6, 10, he says, Finally, my brethren, be strong in the Lord and in the power of his might. Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to withstand or stand against the wiles of the devil. One translation says, withstand the devil's attacks. For we wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against principalities, against powers, against the rulers of the darkness of this world, against spiritual wickedness in high or heavenly places. Wherefore, take unto you the whole armor of God that you may be able. Here's where your ability is. That you may be able to withstand in the evil day. And having done all to stand, stand therefore. Having your loins girt about with truth. And having on the breastplate of righteousness. And your feet shod with the preparation of the gospel of peace. Above all or over all, covering all. Taking the shield of faith wherewith you shall be able to quench all the fiery darts of the wicked. And take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God, praying. Verse 18 tells you what the purpose of all this armor is. Praying, always with all prayer and supplication in the spirit. And watching thereunto with all perseverance and supplication for all saints. Here's what the Bible's telling us. The Bible's telling us that the way we seize courage is the same way God told Joshua to seize courage. And that is through a relationship with the word. Every one of these pieces of armor are identified as a characteristic or a part of what belongs to us in Christ. Every one of them. We gain knowledge of the truth that we're supposed to gird ourselves with through the word of God. We gain knowledge of the, res- the, the uh, righteousness that serves as a breastplate through the word of God. We gain information about the peace, the gospel of peace through the word of God. Every one of these Pieces of armor are characteristics of what we have in Christ Jesus through his death, burial, and resurrection. What we have from him available to us. Every Christian has it. Every child of God receives the same thing, has exactly the same benefits according to these things that are identified. It's just up to us to to learn about them. It's up to us. Jesus said in Matthew chapter 11, verse 28, 29, somewhere around there, He said, come unto me, all you that are burdened and heavy laden, and I'll give you rest. He said, take my yoke upon you and learn of me. Take my yoke upon you and learn of me. Folks, there's a big learning curve to Christianity. There's a big learning curve when it comes to being strong in the Lord. There's a big learning curve when it comes to having prosperity and success through applying the word of God in your life. And that learning curve is Jesus. Learn of me. Learn of me. Jesus made a distinction between his followers and true disciples. 
There were times, where, more than one occasion, where Jesus was surrounded by followers. And he said to them that following just wasn't enough. He said to them that in order to be disciples, they had to go further and learn. It's what we would call casual Christianity, casual Christianity today versus being sold out and committed to the things of God. And the thing that makes the difference is the word because the word is the only place that we learn of him. It's the only way that we can know what belongs to us. And Paul got that. Paul got that. He understood the, rea- the reality of that to such a degree that he used the phrase in Christ and in him talking about what belongs to us and who we are and how we stand before God without fear of condemnation or whatever else over 60 times. For the purpose, the Holy Ghost is giving us this information for the purpose of learning about God through his word. Not just so that we can be filled up with knowledge, but so that we can make our way prosperous and so that we can have good success. So that we can come to the understanding, the realization, the truth that his word is unchanging. No matter what it looks like, no matter what it looks like you're facing, no matter what the situation is, no matter what thoughts are coming against your mind, no matter if the doctor's telling you it's too late, no matter if your skills seem to be lacking to produce the income of the, uh, the things for your family that you think you should have, none of those things do anything to take away from the word because the word is unchanging. God has sevened himself to his word for you. He couldn't break his word if he tried. Again, Paul said to the Hebrews, he said, in which it is impossible for God to lie. It is impossible for God to lie. Folks, think about that for a minute. You know why it's impossible for God to lie? Because every word that he speaks comes to pass. He didn't have to think it through and say, well, I said this. Should I stick with that? Or maybe there's another way we could go about this. Every word God speaks is destined, eternally destined to come to pass. That's why God has to be real careful about what he says. It's not like he slip up by saying the wrong thing like we might. But everything God says comes to pass. And he says you're the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. He says you're blessed with all spiritual blessings in heavenly places. He said you can do all things through Christ who strengthens you. He said those things. And it's impossible for him to lie. The fact that he said them makes it true. But whether or not you and I take hold of them, that's up to us. So what's the first thing you told Joshua? He said, I'll be with you like I was with Moses. Nobody will be able to stand against you. They'll flee from before your face. You'll defeat every one of your enemies. Not just some of them. You'll defeat every one of your enemies. So be strong and of good courage. Seize courage. By speaking the word to yourself over and over and over again, by reminding yourself time and time again of what God's promise is, by putting God in remembrance of what he said concerning you and your Christian life, seize courage. Seize courage. Because I'll never leave you or forsake you. I'll never fail you, he told Joshua. Do you want more for Joshua than he does us? Well, it's impossible for him to do that because he said himself that he's not a respecter of persons. So he wants the same success and prosperity for you that he said to anybody and everybody, including Abraham, Joshua, and so forth. The word is true. So be strong in the Lord. It's a choice. 
It's not a matter of God made some people strong and other people weak. It's not a matter of some people just have more ability, so that's how they're able to be strong. None of that is true. The reality is being strong or being weak is a choice that each and every one of us make. How can we choose to be strong in every situation? Because God's word never changes. Every promise he's ever said, every word he's ever spoken to you, either through the the written word or things that he's whispered to your spirit in the nighttime, every word that he's ever said to you will come to pass. Every one of them. It doesn't matter who says they won't. It doesn't matter what circumstances seem to make that impossible. Every word that God's ever said to you will come to pass. Every one of them. So be strong and of good, good courage. Seize courage. Seize the place where you understand and are alert to how the devil operates. Seize the place where you're alert to the fact that contradicting circumstances, even impossible-looking circumstances, have no bearing on God's word. Seize the place where no thought will uproot the truth of the word of God that you've planted in your heart. Seize courage. Amen. Let's pray. Father, we thank you so much for your word. We thank you that it's true. Thank you, Father, for the fact that you've given us an eternal, unchanging word that can never be altered. A word of victory that's greater than any of the devil's threats of defeat or appearances of defeat for us. Thank you, Father, that you've made us more than conquerors through Christ Jesus who loved us. Thank you, Father, that as we give ourselves to the word, as we put it in our heart by meditating it, by speaking it over and over and over again, thank you, Father, that the seed of God's word, that seed of your word, grows and grows and grows and produces exactly what you sent it to produce, which always results in victory for us. Thank you, Father. We commit to you that we do choose and always will choose to be strong, to seize courage, to take hold of it, no matter what's going on around us and no matter what anybody else does. We choose, Father, to take hold of your word, to understand the the devices, the wiles of the devil, the deceptive ways that he operates and walk in victory in every case. And this is the victory that overcomes the world, even our faith in you through your word. Thank you, Father. You never fail us. You never forsake us. You put us over every time. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Hallelujah. Well, say, say it after me. Victory is mine. According to God's word. And God's word never lies. Amen. God bless you. Have a great week.